Please open your pew Bibles for a reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. You can find this on page 810 in your pew Bible. You have heard it said, heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body is thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of a divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. The next scripture is going to be found in 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17. Do not love this world, nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. The very word of God. Oh my goodness, do you understand why I had fear and trepidation? Um, about today, I've already had my toes stepped on, and uh, I um, am imagining that you have or, or will as well. You are joining us. This is a pretty, uh, pretty amazing passage to just drop in and helicopter in on today. But we've, we've been learning something, haven't we? That, that Jesus is worthy of our trust. And that his words speak life to us. And if we will not just hear them, but, but embrace them, allow them to, to permeate the soil of our hearts and take root, then they will bring life to us. And, and not just to us, but to, Lord willing, generations of people that come after us. So, um, so with a little bit of fear, holy fear and trepidation... I, um, I invite you to dig deep with me into God's Word and find both conviction, there's plenty to go around, but also grace in our time of need. God, I pray today that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, wow. Why? What is the big deal here about adultery and divorce? I have to say that in our culture, it is not a big deal at all. 
It's, it's not a big deal. It's, it's, our culture looks at these things and, and says, you know, um, they're not important anymore. That was then. This is now. And I think that that's why Jesus brings this up in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through 7, the single greatest teaching the world has ever known. He included these topics in the midst of them. He, he includes the topic of divorce and the topic of adultery and the topic of lust. Why? Why? I think he includes the topic of divorce because except in the case of sexual immorality on the part of a partner, divorce can cause you or others to commit adultery. To commit it. And, and again, for a lot of us, we're thinking adultery is something that we wink at, right? In our, in our small group before the worship service, we were saying, probably, if you watch the Super Bowl today, is it, is it wrong to say, go Eagles? In a, in a, um, I still bear anger in my heart uh, from the Patriots for brutalizing my Colts for generations. Um, and I'm working on it in light of last week's topic on anger. I'm working on it, but I'm not there yet. Pray for me. Um, but as you're watching the Super Bowl, you will get, I'm guessing, 40 messages all validating adultery. Wow. Um, I, I was thinking about the commercials, but the small group reminded me earlier, how about the halftime show? Oh, my goodness. So, um, Understand it, that everything in this world, as Sean Lee read from the first John, is opposed to the things of God and is telling you a false gospel, is, is leading you to a false happiness. So, so, so at some point we have to say, God, what do you think about these things? And we gotta anchor ourselves in, in God's truth instead in Jesus and His love for us is coming to us and reinterpreting not even what, just what the world says but what the religious community has said. Because the religious community is also prone to making light of things that God does not make light of. Of, of providing us with excuses and, and when God does not do that. God has a way but we have to find God's way through these, these great challenges. So adultery can cause ourselves or someone else to commit adultery. But what is this adultery thing? Adultery is a big deal too. Adultery is becoming physically or emotionally or spiritually. What? Physically or emotionally or even spiritually one with anyone other than your wife or your husband. Please, don't hear what I didn't say, okay? I didn't say that loving someone else is wrong. Are we not called to love one another? Are, are we not called to love even our enemies? Don't hear in this love. I think a lot of us shut down because we're so afraid of, of, of the adultery issue that we, we don't even risk loving one another. We're called to love each other. Even and especially those who hurt us or even persecute us. Loving one another is what we were created for. But becoming one, physically, or emotionally, or spiritually, with another 
person is a person of the opposite sex, that's reserved for one. And that's reserved, according to God's word right here, for a lifetime. Some of you are already condemning yourself. Do not go there. Hold on. Don't shut me out. Hold on and listen for God's word to you. Well, Jesus... When Jesus addressed this issue, he's speaking to us of life issues. And, 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 he's, and he's calling us back to an understanding of marriage. Some of you are th- saying, what are you trying to do, Pastor Dave? Are you trying to redefine marriage? And, and let me just say to you a little bit belligerently that, no, I'm not trying to redefine marriage. I think our world has tried to do that. I'm going to the Word of God and hearing the Word of God say that from the very beginning of creation, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, right? That's, that's not from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. That's not even from the Gospels. Jesus reinterpreting Jesus takes us all the way back to Genesis. And he ought to know, right? Because we saw at Christmas time he was there. He was there at creation. So he ought to know, no, this, this is how we were created to be. So when Jesus quotes this passage, when asked about divorce, he adds another element. God is the one that brings a man and no, no, um, Jesus, you don't understand. I was in a bar that night and I got drunk and, and you didn't, you don't understand God. When you entered into that, that relationship of marriage, God blessed that. And, and God became a part of that. So God brings a man and woman together, Jesus says. Not Pastor Dave. Jesus says, we are the ones who divide them. So, Jesus says, they are no longer two, but one flesh What therefore God has joined together, let no one separate. By the way, you see that reference in your notes, Matthew 19. Jesus goes much more in depth on this issue of marriage and remarriage and divorce and all that in Matthew 19. I just commend that to you. But let's stop here for a second and say, what is marriage then? What is marriage? Marriage is a three-part covenant. What? Yes, A man, a woman, and God being united as one. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I mean God in that too. God physically enters us. God emotionally cares for us. God is spiritually present in our lives and in this this covenant of marriage. I'm using a special word, right? It's not a promise it's not a contract. It is a covenant. That, it, that means that if somebody breaks that covenant, the man or the woman or God, somebody dies to pay the price of that. Hold that thought. That's going to draw us to the table of the Lord a little later. This is much more than a promise. Much more than a contract. 
The marriage is a three-part covenant between a man, a woman, and God to be united as one. And, and when it's lived out, when marriage is lived out, it's a, it's a parable, a, a message to the world of the covenant relationship, not just between the man and the woman and God. It is that. But Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 that it is also a, a lived-out parable about the relationship of God and His people. I know that this is radical thinking, but a godly marriage then is a proclamation to the world about the integrity, faithfulness, and love of who? I'm I'm tempted right here to go with the man and the woman, and, and to a certain extent that's true, but they're both broken. Amen? We can't do this. No, it's it's a it's a proclamation to the world about the integrity and the faithfulness and love of God for His people. And that's powerful. Marriage is this lived-out parable. That's why it's so urgent, you guys. So urgent to take Jesus' words seriously. But it's also a lived-out miracle. It is a lived-out miracle where two unique and, and, and sovereign lives become one. Become one. And, and it's, a double, it's a double miracle and mystery here because it, it, I'm looking back here at Schaefer and, and, and two lives, Jessica and Jason, uh, became one, right? And out of those two lives came an individual who uniquely represents both Jason and Jessica and because they're in a covenant marriage and God as well. Do you see that? So there's a physical aspect to it. But even if you had no children, there would still be this miracle. And I'm, I'm always in awe of this when I'm, when I'm privileged to be a part of someone's wedding. That there's a miracle that happens right before me and two lives become one. It is a parable about the covenant relationship, but it's also a lived out miracle right in front of the world. Some people say, I don't believe in miracles. Well... There's two of them back there. One is the child that is the fruit of that second miracle of Jason and Jessica becoming one. I should probably ask people before I use them as sermon illustrations, huh? Wow. One of the major confusions for us comes when we falsely believe things about marriage. So much of the world believes that marriage is about happiness, right? It's about our emotional well-being. And praise God, it is. It is. It's about physical pleasure. It's about um, uh, happiness and emotional well-being. That is absolutely true, but that's not the only thing that's true. Right? It's not just about our happiness. It's about our holiness as well. It's about God using uh, another lifelong partner to help shape us and mold us and fulfill the promise that we will one day be conformed to the image of Jesus. It's about living in right relationship before God, but also for God. Did you hear that? Before God. He's a part of this covenant. But also for him. So it is a big deal. 
It is a big deal. And it's no wonder that the world, our own flesh, Ephesians 2, and the evil one are all completely dedicated to the destruction of your marriage. The destruction of the institution of marriage in our world today. And remember, I included in that our own flesh. Right? We'll explore that together. It is a big deal. But even if we, if you can't believe that yet, if, if, if you just stay in this passage and, and you say, did Jesus think it was a big deal? Oh yeah, how much so? He said, it's better for you to cut out your eye than to stumble over this, right? That's pretty extreme. He said, it's better for you to cut off your hand than it is to, to sin. He's, he's saying this is pretty extreme. Now clearly, Jesus is not into self-mutilation, right? He's not. What is he saying? He's actually showing us the logical conclusion of our thought processes. Because if, if I put that, as I just said it to you, into practice, I would be a torso lying before you here today. I kid you not. A blind and deaf and armless and legless Torso. No, it's not about dismemberment as a solution. It's about transformation of the source. My eyes are a reflection of my heart. What I set my eyes on is a reflection of where my heart is. The words that come out of my mouth, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth, speaks, right? The words that come out of my mouth are a reflection of where my heart is. The place my my little Adidas take me, right, is a reflection of my heart. So Jesus is saying this is really important. And as always, the most important things we learn, we learn in kindergarten, right, or preschool. Shout out to those preschool and kindergarten teachers, right? But I remember something that went a little bit like this. It went, um, oh, be careful, little eyes. What, have you ever taught that, Barbara, in your, in your class? Yeah. What you? Oh, be careful, little ears. For the Father up above is looking down with love. Did I get that right? So be careful, little eyes, hands, feet, ears. Mouth, right? Be careful. Be careful. But if we're going to go for a solution, it's not, it's not with my hands, is it? It's not with my eyes. I, I, hope, I hope today to give you some really practical tools to help you on this journey. And they will deal with our eyes. They will deal with our hands. They will deal with that. But understand right up front that the issue is not the members of your body. The issue is your heart, your will. And your will, we've seen, is counseled by your mind and your emotions. Okay? And so we need transformation there. Sometimes, sometimes it's not about transformation. Sometimes it's about deliverance. Amen? You following me? Sometimes I have made such a mess of myself that God just needs to do a do-over. Praise God, his word says he's willing to do that. How do you say in, in Jeremiah, I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. Again, he echoes it in Ezekiel 36. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to replace your, your broken heart and, and give you a new one that beats in rhythm 
for the very heart of God. So this, this is a, a, a big deal. And what is the problem? We saw last week that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. As we sang earlier, this is my desire, right? The problem is our desires. Our hearts, our wills, do not desire to honor God. We're tempted by temporary pleasures, by temporary feelings, even by happiness. We're tempted to give in to those things rather than trusting the lover of our souls to grant us what we really need, right? We're tempted to settle for less than God is offering us. And as a result, we have divided hearts supplemented by conflicting emotions and double-mindedness that leads us to destructive actions. Destructive for us, yeah? but destructive also for the people around us. Hmm. Don't you ever wish sometime that life came with an owner's manual or something? I was making such a mess of a dishwasher last week. And it, it, my little two-hour job ended up with like six trips to Menards. And, and this mess all over. Now, there was a little manual in there next to the dishwasher. But I'm a guy, okay? And guys don't look at manuals. Right? And I, I've, I think of the times when I made a mess of my life and said, Oh God, why don't you just give me a manual? And he says, I did. I did. And we're taking one paragraph out of that manual today and letting it speak to us. Our passage today speaks to the destructive actions that we take as a result of our heart problem, right? Let me just look at two of them. They're pretty blatant here. Um, Let me look at two of them. Two destructive actions. First First of all, I'm saying this very carefully, by the way. Looking at one another with lustful intent. Okay? Looking at one another with lustful intent. Notice I did not say looking at one another. Let's be real, guys, right? We... Um, know when we're vulnerable, right? And, and I'm speaking to guys, although it's equally true for girls. Well, it's also true for girls. Maybe not equally true for women, I think. I've heard um, that, that we're vulnerable to visual stimulation, right? So we anticipate, we see a half a block away. Oh, I'm giving myself away. Honey, would you? Oh, she's gone. Good. Um, she's not here. She went down working with the kids. Um, I don't want to give away all my secrets. Okay, so what stays, what happens in the worship center stays in the worship center, okay? But, but, um, we're always taking in data. I'm, I'm aware of that woman half a block down the street. I'm aware when my wife is speaking to me while the football game is on. Don't tell her. I pretend that I don't hear. But I'm aware. We're aware. And when I become aware, I'm going to stick with something safer, like the woman down the street. Um, uh, when I'm aware, I have a choice right then. I have a choice about what I respond. Uh, our men's group, uh, our Wednesday men's group last year was studying temptation, and we were reminded that there are 12 to 15 steps to giving into temptation. And at any one of them, we can choose something different. 
half a block away, I can make a decision. Let me give you a real practical one because I'm afraid I won't get back to it later. I can choose not to look. I can't choose to not see that the first time, right? What's our mantra for this? you remember, brother? The first look is free. The second one costs you, right? I can help but see half a block away a, uh, a beautiful woman coming down the street. And, but I have a choice what I do next, right? And, and, and so I can choose not to look back. Now, that's a little bit of a hard calling. And the Pharisees used to try and do that, and they ran into a lot of walls that way, right? They called them the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Um, but there's a better solution, and that's to replace... That was our study this week, wasn't it, in our reading? To replace that temptation with something else. Oh God, thank you so much for Karen. You have given me this beautiful woman inside and out. God, let me tell you the ways that... Oh, where'd that girl go? She's gone, right? I replaced with something beautiful the temptation before me. Um, notice that I did not say in earlier that, that I'm looking at a woman. I did not even say, and this is going to rattle some of your cages, I did not even say looking at a woman lustfully. Because sometimes you find yourself in that situation. What I did say, what he said actually, was to choose to look again with lustful intent. Right? To look again with lustful intent. Jesus is saying that, that that's destructive. The word lust in, in the Bible is a very strong word. The second part of the word means an urge, a longing, a craving. I think that she was reading out of a version of the Bible that translated that word as craving. Sean Lee was. A passion or something that is excited. The first part of the word, epi, means over. So when we get to that place, when we're absolutely over the top, uh, craving something, we're getting extremely excited about it. In fact, it, when that excitement is so vigorous that it becomes like a fervent passion, an obsession, a mania, right? A controlling desire. That's... That's the lust that Jesus is speaking of. That's destructive. That leads you down paths you don't want to go. But he says another destructive action is to break covenant with the person that God has entrusted to you for your life. Another destructive... And I don't think I have to go too far. No, honestly, I am. And I understand what they're saying. I've encountered many people who said divorce was the best thing that ever happened to me. I've heard Christians say that. What I hear in that is the divorce is the best thing that happened to me. Of course, you have no frame of reference, right? Because you've been there. Um, but that doesn't take into account the ramifications, um, the ripple effect for generations of the people around us. That does not take into, effect, into account what divorce does to the heart of God. You know what divorce does to the heart of God? It causes him hate. I'm not making that up. Malachi, I think chapter 3. It causes him hate. Why does it cause God hate? Because, hang on to your seats, you guys. Because 
God is so pained by divorce. Who, why would God be so pained by something that he's never experienced, right? Why would God be so hurt by something that he's never experienced? Because he has experienced it. Because he is experiencing it. I know I'm hanging out on a limb right here. But two places in Scripture say, I gave my people a certificate of divorce and my people have not come back to me. God is divorced. So lest lest you think that this is about condemnation for people who have experienced divorce, not at all. This is a recognition of the destruction that it causes to people's hearts. And I'm pretty confident that you understand what I'm talking about. Whether you have been divorced, whether you are divorced, wherever you are, and Jesus says that that's destructive. I've got to keep going here, but, but if this is touching something in you, here again, this is not a, at all a voice of condemnation. It's a voice of affirmation. God understands your pain. He understands your hurt. He understands the physical, emotional, and spiritual ramification of lust and of divorce. But he also shows us where it comes from. There's two destructive actions, yeah, but there's one motivation behind it. Your life is corrupt through deceitful desires. There's that same word, epithumia in Greek, that same word, that controlling passions. Your life has become corrupt through the controlling passions that you face. Ephesians 4.22. Why are they deceitful? Because they promise something they can't deliver. They promise something they can't deliver. And in that same passage in Ephesians, God tells us that, that there's certain ones we should, the summary um, epithumias, the summary uh, desires that we should watch out for. He says in that passage in Ephesians chapter 4, let me read it for you. Put off your old self. Uh, excuse me, I'm in the wrong one. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit or attitude of your minds. Put on the new self, created to be like God in Jesus Christ. And again, from 1 John chapter 2, that, that Shauna Lee read for us just a, a few moments ago, God speaks to us of the very nature of our brokenness, of the very nature of our pain. 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. Do you see what he's saying? There's some controlling passions, and some of them come from your flesh. Understand that. Lest any women think that you're off the hook because you're not as vulnerable. Many of you are not as vulnerable to men, to the lust of the eyes. You're just as vulnerable to destructive influences. You can, you can imagine a whole scenario, and you maybe have, apart from the lover of your youth, that you, you put together a whole life. And, and when nobody else is aware, you go there and find comfort from living in this false world. How do I know that? Two words. Hallmark Channel. Hallmark Channel. 
I don't understand the Hallmark Channel. It's like one plot line lived out a thousand different ways. I kid you not, at Christmas time, we saw 40 different Christmas movies that had nothing to do about Christmas, had everything to do about this awesome guy who was everything any woman. And, and uh, I said, how can I compete with a Hallmark Channel, really, right? Um, no, we don't, it's not necessarily visual. Um, our very flesh cries out for that, which isn't which is not ours, and in doing so, we miss what is, what God has graced us with already. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, unless we've missed anybody. He also says then, the boastful pride of your possessions. It's interesting, it uses that same word for life, but it means possessions, things that have become our lives. And sometimes we're so proud of what we've accomplished, what we have, and we don't realize how impoverished and poor we really are. Oh, you guys have been so faithful. What do we do? I know I'm scratching the surface. I apologize. But what do we do? Paul gave us some hints in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Three critical steps. Put off stinking thinking. Put off those actions that are causing you to stumble. Put off the salad bar, right, at Western Ribeye. No, I'm sorry, that one got me. Um, you know, you know those triggers. You know where they are. Coffee M&M's, okay? You know what they are. Um, lay them aside. My four major food groups are salt and grease and sugar and caffeine. And if I can just keep those four in balance, I know that I'll have a long and healthy life, right? Or so I thought until about four weeks ago. And guess what they took away? Guess what they asked me to put off? Salt and grease and sugar and caffeine. And guess who they gave me? Mrs. Dash. I hate Mrs. Dash. But I should have to review my own sermon last week, huh? Uh, oh, my goodness. Put off. Stop doing them. And this is, where, this is where sisters or brothers are so helpful. When I'm vulnerable, when I'm really vulnerable, I can call a brother. Many of them are in this room right now. I can call them and say, I'm dangerously vulnerable. And they will... They will move heaven and earth to help me through that. Um, that's why we need each other. I'm confident, women, that God has placed women in your life that if you'll risk it, now most of us don't want to look bad in front of even our friends, but if we'll be real and authentic and genuine and we'll risk trusting those things to other people, they will help us put those things off, put them off, get help, put them off. But also be renewed. Be renewed in the attitude of your mind. Change your stinking thinking. Change your thought processes. Adultery didn't happen in a vacuum. It happens after 12 to 15 little things that we could have stopped at any point. Let's think differently about ourselves. Let's be renewed in the attitude of our mind. And then, with God's help, let's put on new behaviors. Let's put on new thought processes. He actually speaks of it like it was clothing that we put on. I can't deal with this weather changes that keep happening, but I have a backstop. I have a 
Costco jacket that keeps me warm when it's really cold outside. It does no good, absolutely no good, if I don't put it on before I go out there. But if I do, if I do, it helps. Put on right thinking. Put on, are you ready for this? Right lusts. Did I say that? The Bible speaks of right lusts, like it speaks of righteous anger. It speaks of, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul epithumias intensely desires, so my soul intensely desires God. When, God, are you going to come? The psalmist says, when am I going to appear before you? Put on right lusts. Put on right lusts. Two helpful things from the last two weeks. I'm sorry that I haven't been accenting the way I should. The, the, the gifts that God has given us. But one, one gift for overcoming our anger is Sabbath. Is taking one day a week and stopping what you're doing. It doesn't have to be Sunday. But, but it can be. Take the Lord's Day. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Take the Lord's Day and make it your Sabbath. Stop and listen for God's voice. Let Him diagnose your epithumias. Let Him diagnose your desires. Let Him, through the power of His Holy Spirit, help you lay them aside. You've got to honor God's Word and, and begin that soul training exercise. If you have to, start with half a day. But know that God is taking you to the point where one day a week you stop what you're doing. And spend it with him. Everybody's going, I, you don't know my life. I don't. God does. And still invited you to Sabbath. Still commanded you to Sabbath, right? But then secondly, this week's was really good too. If you don't know what I'm talking about, some of us are doing a Bible study in conjunction with the service. And what was the soul training exercise this week? <laughs> my wife. is still blessedly not in the room. Um, said... Aren't you supposed to like do the soul training exercise before you preach on it? And I said, Oh no, no, honey, it'd be much better if I did it after the Super Bowl, after after I preached on it, right? Um, um, yeah, media fast. Why would that be important? Think about lust. Why would that be important? Because that's where all these things are entering your mind, right? That's where these thoughts are entering your mind. That's the portal by which. You, you can spend an hour in church. You can spend another hour and a half in a Bible study somewhere. But if you're spending the rest of the 170 plus hours letting that stuff in, it's not rocket science to figure that that's still going to be real hard, right? Too helpful soul training exercise. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I didn't bring it in, but, but in the book, uh, The Good and Beautiful Life, is there, I did, there's one here. Is it? Yep, that's it. Um, lots of exploration about that. Wonderful tools to help you with it. Well, real quick then, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, remember our study three weeks ago? Um, what are you saying, God, to me? What, what should I, how should I respond? And I ask you to do that in an I will statement. I will do this. And then I ask you, I think it's in the bulletin, is it? Is there in the note? I, I ask you, when are you going to do that? Why? Because I will do that sometime before now and the Lord comes, right? That's when, no. No, because um, you're going to be assaulted the moment you leave this room if you're not being assaulted already. 
you're going to be assaulted and you've got to, you've got to make a, a commitment to put these things into practice. What are you going to do? What is God asking you to do? It might be as simple as I'm going to memorize Job 31.1. I'm going to memorize the scripture that says, I will not look lustfully at a woman. I'm just going to hide that in my heart. Beware that when you do that, it's going to pop up at awkward moments, right? It's going to pop up and, and God's going to remind you of that word and you're going to say, oh, rats, I was all set and ready to to indulge my eyes, and God's going to say, no, that's my daughter out there. No, right? So, um, so put something really practical. For some of you, it, it might mean something more dramatic, and, and any of our elders, any, any of the people in this room would love to talk with you and, and partner with you on the steps that God is asking you to take. But then there's another really important thing, and that is to say, who am I going to tell about this? Who am I going to tell and that's going to be a little awkward around the water cooler, isn't it? Um, I want to talk to you about lust and, and adultery and divorce around the water cooler, right? No, I trust God to lead you to where and when to do that. But, but something happens when you share with someone what you learn. Remember the woman at the well went back to her village and said, this guy just told me everything about myself. Could this be the Messiah? And that whole village was transformed as a result of it. Even last week, several of you put that into practice. Several of you made a commitment to tell somebody, and I got ripple effects from that. I got ripple effects through social media. I got ripple effects through personal encounters. And, and, and people were telling me, I heard that you talked about. I'm going, wow, wow. God's word is multiplying as a result of that. So who are you going to tell about it, okay? But while we... Um, while you write those things down, and I want you to write them down, don't say, I'll do that after lunch. Um, if God is speaking to you now, it's really important that you write it down now. But for some of you, for some of you, what you really need to do is to believe that there is not an ounce of condemnation in Jesus for you. That he didn't say these things so that you would feel convicted and judged, so that you would despair. He said these things so that you might take one more baby step toward life. And, and he, he doesn't want you to leave this place thinking that, that you are alone in this battle. I know that there's still many of you who are still carrying things that you will not share with someone else. I'm going to encourage you over the future to do that because God uses people to love us but you can share it with him. You can put off today, right now, right now. I'm so excited thinking about this. You can leave it behind. You can be transformed in the renewing of your mind. And you can put on, or I'm going to say put in Christ instead and live out of the Christ who not only loves you, but who has said, there is a worthy temple for me. Christ who said, I want to live in you. As we come to the table of the Lord, remember that it, this table is not about our human perfection. It's about Christ's perfection. He has lived the life that we couldn't live and offers us that life through Him.
in this holy moment, as you by faith partake, it's just simple bread. It's simple juice. As you partake of that, by faith you're saying, God, I receive you, Jesus. I believe that your sacrifice on the cross was sufficient for my epithumia, for my anger, for my lust, for my adultery. I'm going to assume that, God. And I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it here today and live into the future that is mine in you, Jesus. Oh, come. Come to the table of the Lord. There's refreshment here, not judgment. There's life here, not condemnation. Elders, will you please come forward? Servers, will you please come forward? We're going to receive communion today by um, distribution, which means it's going to come to you. And, and know that if you're not in a place, either for whatever reason, where you're ready to receive that, there's not, we're so delighted you're here. It does not matter. Uh, let that plate go by, uh, and uh, we will love you and accept you just exactly as you are. But if you're at that place where you're ready to take that step of faith, and it's not just to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but to believe that His grace is sufficient for you right now, right here today, then we invite you to take the bread. When you're ready, partake of it by yourself, a symbol in a way that, that you alone are worthy of Christ's love and affection. And then when you get the cup, if you will hold that, recognize that, that this commitment we're talking about is also a sign to the world about Christ's love for His church. And as a church, then we'll hold that cup and partake of that grace together so that the world could know that Jesus Christ is Lord. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when you partake of this bread, you're allowing Christ to fill you. And you're saying, I remember, Jesus, what you did for me. In the same way, after that meal on that Maundy Thursday evening, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. There's that word, right? You broke the old one. I paid for it with my life, Jesus says. But I love you so much that I'm willing to make a new one with you right now. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul says, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Thank you, Jesus. Would you take this simple bread the simple juice, and make it the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Would you, in this mystery that is beyond my comprehension, Jesus, would you so fill these elements with your presence that they become grace to us? Not judgment, not condemnation. Grace to us in our time of need. And Jesus, we will give you the praise. We will give you the glory. In Christ's name, amen.
to you. 